Welcome to Conservation Unfiltered, presented by Conserve the Wild, your destination for an unfiltered look at conservation. Now let's get wild. Welcome back to another episode of the Conservation Unfiltered podcast. I'm your host, Jason Creighton. This is episode number 53. So you think you want to work in conservation. Today I'm going to be talking with Anthony Pignatelli. He is a senior at Kent State University who is currently studying environmental and conservation biology. Some of us out there might be thinking, hey, I think I want to work in the conservation industry, but how do I get there? Others of you, like me, might be thinking, I want to... I wonder how these people get into conservation. Like, How do they get into these professions? Well, we're going to talk with Anthony to find out just how it works and what you need to do. Anthony's done a, a lot of other great things for, the, for Kent State University. He's a campus tour guide for the admissions office. He's a student ambassador through the alumni relations office. And he's just a general overall hard worker, which is not a surprise to me as I've known him for a number of years now. To get specific about what we're talking about, we're going to talk about what his major entails, some of the classes that he's been talking about, uh, what got him into this uh, idea of working in conservation, and we're going to talk about what he's been working on uh, this summer, which is basically studying how urbanization is affecting the nutrient cycling and uh, within urban streams and riparian systems and trying to figure out you know what type of land covers are a more responsible option to help filter out some of the nutrients and things that we don't really want in our streams uh, you know we look at the the change urbanization makes you know on a landscape and we can see it right there's buildings where trees used to be uh, but the effects of urbanization really will, can be carried downstream or downriver uh, and affect rural areas as well. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. We're also going to talk about what his future plans are, which include a master's and a PhD in aquatic ecology. So this is a good one. Uh, we're going to get right to it, and I will talk to you on the other side. It just feels like, you know, like yesterday I was walking the halls of Freeport and now here I am soon to graduate college. Well, I can tell you that no one was walking the halls of Freeport for yesterday or the day before or two months for the last two months. So, yeah, that is true. I didn't realize that you had gone to school for um, environmental and conservation biology. So yeah. that was well, the funny thing with that is I actually just switched to that major about a year and a half ago. Okay. So I originally went in as geology after taking Mr. Adams class. Um, so that's what I was doing. But then my freshman and sophomore year, I kind of flipped between geology, geography, and anthropology. And then I ended up going into the conservation biology route. That's awesome. So, I mean, what was it that drew you in to go from geology to conservation biology like what what is it about the conservation biology that you're like hey that's that's what I want to do that's what I want to pursue yeah well so it all started um you know I was taking my geology classes my freshman year and I was like okay this is pretty cool like seeing how the earth works but I wanted to see more how like people on the earth interact so that's when I went to geography well then I was like okay this is pretty cool but I also want to see more 
um, of like the more environmental impacts that humans have on the environment. And so it was my sophomore year, I think in the fall or spring, that I took this conservation of natural resources class for my geography major. And um, we started talking a lot more about those conservation um, efforts and stuff like that that people are doing. And that kind of motivated me to go into, I knew that Kent had this conservation major. Um, so I looked a little bit more into it. Um, Cause then I started to realize that I wanted to do a lot more of the scientific research analysis kind of stuff instead of kind of more in the social sciences route, which is what a lot of geography was. Um, so I wanted to do more research-based stuff. And so that's when I ended up switching over to uh, the conservation major. See, and that's something whenever I just, I mean, when I decided to go to school, I decided I wanted to be a teacher. Um, so I went that route and I never wavered from that. But outside of, you know, being just a regular old biology major, like I, I didn't know that there were other routes within science to take in, in that sort of aspect. Um, so it, it would have been cool for me to at least experience that a little bit, um, just mm -hmm. to even know they're out there. I don't know that I would have taken a, a different route. I, I really enjoy the teaching aspect. Um, and I really like the, the route that I went, uh, the school that I went to and, and the reasons why I went there and they didn't offer anything like this anyways, they still don't, but it would have been cool to know that it was out there. It, I, I, I think back and wonder as I start looking at, at, and start talking to people that graduated with, you know, wildlife biology degrees and fish, wildlife and fishery uh, sciences, things like that. Like, I wonder, I, I wonder if that pool would have been strong enough to get me into that. Um, mm -hmm. So that, that's cool to, to hear that, you know, what was it about that class that made you really decide that's what you want to go? I mean, there, was there like one light bulb moment or was it just the experience of that whole semester that you're like, yeah, this is, where I need to be. Yeah, it was mainly kind of just the whole experience of the class because um, we did a lot of different things um, over all different forms of conservation, environmental geography kind of stuff. Um, and that's when I re realized that um, my talents would be better going into a research-based kind of thing. Which is a little surprising to me because you were very much a people person whenever you were in high school, from what I remember. Um, mm -hmm. You're very easy to get along with. You're very easy to talk to. And, you know, now at Kent State, you know, you give tour guides of campus, right, with uh, the uh, admissions office and uh, you're a student ambassador. So what I don't know. It just, it just seems a little different to me that if you would have asked me where you were going to go, I'd say something working with people, something being around people. Not that, not that this route won't put you around people. I mean, you still have to be right. Um, right. But is, did the, did working with the public, do you find that tiring now a little bit, or do you still really enjoy that? Is this just something else that you like to do too? Yeah. So I really do enjoy working with the public. Um, I, about beginning of my junior year, I was kind of going back and forth thinking about grad school and if I wanted to go into higher education to continue working with people and students, especially in the college setting, um, or going into the research biology route. So it's not that I'm like tired of it, but I found over the past year and a half that my passion really lies with science and doing the research. Because um, I found that I really love learning about how 
the environment works and how the ecosystem works and how that ties in with humans um, and our impact. And so, um, like, I can still get that, you know, people aspect. Um, I, before the whole pandemic thing hit, I was supposed to go to a conference um, to, like, talk about research and stuff like that. So I'm still kind of getting that people aspect. Um, and it's not that I'm tired of it, but I love to focus more on, like, the academic side of things. So once you switched over uh, with this major, like, what uh, what is your what has been your favorite class or maybe even favorite project? Like what's that one thing that you're like, this was awesome. This, I, I would love to do this for the rest of my life. Yeah. So it's hard to pick just one class. <laughs> you um, can give me a couple. Okay, perfect. Um, so within the past year, I would say I took an evolution class this past semester, which was really interesting um, because we got to talk about, you know, of course, like evolutionary concepts, but then also how that ties in to how humans are impacting the evolutionary changes in organisms today um, with like, you know, changing habitats um, and stuff like that. So that was really interesting. Now I do have a couple classes I'm actually taking next semester, which I'm, I've never been so excited for classes in my life. Um, I'm gonna be taking a stream biology class and then a climate change uh, biology focused class. So those two I'm super excited because I really love um, learning more about climate change and how that is impacting us. Um, so I'm super excited for that class. And then my stream biology class, that is kind of my focus within my research. So I'm super excited to take a class like devoted to that. So talk a little bit. We, we talked a little bit before um, through Messenger on, on Instagram um, about the fact that you're doing some research right now right um and through a research project hey, so what what is it that you are doing like what what's your daily life like you know as far as working through that project yeah so i informally started this project um back in october um but then this past semester that's when i really dove into it and was actually taking a class to get credit for doing my research so i'm working with um one of the professors in our biology department um, looking at the effects of urbanization on nutrient cycling in the stream systems that go through urban areas. And specifically, I'm focusing on um, the Atlanta metro area, um, where actually the project itself, it's a much larger project. I'm doing a smaller part of it. We're actually working with people at the University of Georgia and their kind of like ecosystem department. Um, so that's where I'm getting all my data from them and like land use information. And so I'm trying to take that information and figure out where this um, influx of excess nutrients is coming from, how that is playing a part in affecting the biota in the stream, um, and then ways to potentially um, restore the stream back to like more of a normal sense of what it used to be, um, and just to kind of measure the health of the stream, essentially. So for those of us that are lay people, what do you mean when you say the biota? So that's mainly the um, like invertebrates. So a lot of the um, microbes um, and bacteria, smaller organisms that actually live in the stream, um, trying to see how they're affected and what their um, impact is on this nutrient cycling. So basically what you're looking at is, if I understand correctly, is really just sort of like the runoff 
in an urban area that could include, you know, spilled gasoline, motor oil, chemicals, pesticides, right? And how that affects really the everything that goes into that stream. Because, I mean, really, when you ask most people, when you, you know, what's in a stream? A lot of people are going to say, oh, there's some fish. Maybe there's some frogs. Uh, you might get a couple of people that say that there's some crayfish in there or something like that. But there's, I mean, down to the microscopic level, there's all kinds of different stuff. And you're, so basically you're really looking at how that runoff is affecting that stream. Exactly. Yeah. We're looking more microscopically at those smaller organisms as well as the larger, you know, like fish and stuff like that. Um, but we really want to see why there's such an excess amount of nitrogen and carbon going into the stream systems. Um, we're trying to kind of pinpoint the main or major cause of that, because obviously it's going to be more than just, you know, if people are utilizing fertilizer or if it is industrial, commercial. We're trying to kind of gather the resources to see what the land use is. Um, that's kind of my goal for this summer is to get some spatial um, data so that I can kind of map out, okay, this is where the stream's located, and then um, this is the land use around it. So is it industrial? Is it residential? That kind of stuff. And from, you know, the little bit of talking to some farmers that are starting to get into a little bit more of a, you know, the old school farming was do whatever you need to do to the land to get your crops, right? You, you got to make your money. Now, a lot of farmers are starting to take a little bit more of a conservation approach. You know, they still want to make their money off their crops, but they're trying to do things in a way that's going to be beneficial for years to their crops, not just that given year. And they're using mm -hmm. those riparian buffers around streams. And basically those are used to filter out some of the fertilizers and runoff and, and things like that, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, because mainly the big issue with um, using all that fertilizer and stuff is that it will actually cause algae to grow in you know, exponential amounts to the point where it creates an anoxic or you know, there's hardly any oxygen for the fish or other um, organisms to utilize. So then it really degrades the health of the stream and the waterways that that runoff is going into. Yeah, there's been a lot of talk uh, with, you know, the, for years now, the Mississippi River, I mean, everything sort of runs into the Mississippi River in ag country. So um, all that runoff all goes into there. And really, you know, that health of the Mississippi River has been really degraded from that. Um, so trying to figure out and then um, lately, they've been talking a lot in Iowa, um, with city water, you know, it, how much that they have to filter out and treat that water to get all that runoff out of there. Um, mm -hmm. which is not something that you necessarily think about. Like you, you know, you think, you know, your water's safe, it's treated, but how much does it need to be treated in order to make it safe? That's, that's sort of the big, the big sort of new talking points now when it comes to farms and, and the conservation movement. Exactly. So let's, let's look at this real quick. Um, not real quick. Let's dive into it a little bit more, but I want to circle back. Let, let's pretend that I am a high school junior or senior. Um, I'm interested in the outdoors. I'm interested in how wildlife works, right? Um, I'm thinking about getting into biology in some aspect. You know, what, what would you tell me about conservation biology and, you know, what your major has been like at Kent State and what, I mean, to be honest, if I'm thinking about going into some sort of um, wildlife or conservation deal, I'm probably not thinking of Kent State. 
uh, as, as to go into the program there. What is it about Kent State? What do they offer? What's it like to be in that major? Convince me to, to sign up. Yeah, so one thing that um, I really do like about our major and our bio department in general is that we have a lot of different courses, especially when you get to your junior, senior year, mainly for the major, you're taking all electives, and we have probably 50 plus electives. Um, about 30 to 40 of those classes are specifically ecological based, so um, it was even hard for me to pick what classes to take. Um, I kind of had to narrow my list down. I had like 20 options and I had to get it down to like four. Um, so they do offer a lot of different courses to kind of get you interested in experiencing different topics. And because conservation and environmental sciences, it's not just one specific thing, you know, going and you're like, okay, I'm just going to learn about the environment. Well, there's a lot more that goes into that, you know, now that I've realized, oh, I really like stream biology and that's kind of the route I want to go to. But someone else might want to look more at um, organismal biology to see how um, certain animals are dealing with the environment. Or if you go a, zoo, a zoology major, you know, you get to learn the animal aspect of things. So they do a really good job of having courses to kind of get you to figure out what specifically you want to actually focus on. And then the nice thing about Kent State location-wise is that we have a lot of natural areas around the area so even though we're like 15 20 minutes from akron and 45 minutes from cleveland like you think we're a pretty like urban area well we actually have about three wetlands and bogs just within a five ten minute drive of kent campus so we have a lot of natural areas for us to go out and do field work and actually get to study um ecosystems in person plus we have the cuyahoga valley national park so we actually have an actual national park 20 minutes away from campus, which is just wild to think about. Um, so then we have all of that environmental aspects that we can go and study there as well. And a lot of our classes and professors will actually take us on trips to the Cuyahoga Valley National Park or to some of these local wetlands and bogs for us to actually get an in-person feel and do actual field work. Um, I actually took an ecology class um, in the fall in one of a couple labs that we did one was we actually went into a stream and had to collect invertebrates to um, identify so i'm out there in the stream kicking up dirt using a net trying to collect invertebrates another lab we did a capture a mark and recapture lab so we actually have a whole giant prairie field behind our rec center on campus and we had to go out catch grasshoppers mark them and then go back a week later and then try to find them and kind of count po populations that was a bit of a time um, but then we also did a carbon sequestration lab where we actually went out to a wooded area on campus and were um, trying to find amounts of carbon stored in the trees. So Kent State really does a good job of getting you out into the field um, in a lot of your introductory classes and then up through um, your upper level senior classes um, to make sure that you're actually getting um, the experience you need to then go out into the field. So I feel like they do a really good job at preparing you for doing stuff. That, that's cool. That That is something that um, I know has been a big push for a lot of schools and I think is really important, um, you know, to teach you what you're, it, it's good to know the information, but you need to know the information you're going to be using on a daily and weekly basis in the field that you're going into. Um, there, Right. Like, I can go to my lecture and listen to my professor talk for hours at a time, 
and you know that's not going to make much of an impact on me what's made an impact on me is when i learn the material in my lecture and then i go to my lab and then actually apply that and go out into the field and actually get to do something tangible so I have to ask, I mean, you're, this is a field, you're talking about field work. Um, obviously, field work is done outside. Um, you know, do you find yourself in your free time, whatever free time you have, just go, going outside, going on hikes, doing outdoor activities? Is that, yeah, so the outdoors become that like big passion for you now? Yeah, and I've always loved the outdoors, but I never had the time or like really wanted to like actually go out and experience it but being kind of forced to go out and do this field work for my classes has kind of motivated me to actually take the time to go out so um, now that I've come back up to Kent for the summer I've been trying to go around to the different wetlands and stuff and just kind of walking around um, and just kind of getting a you know feeling up nature kind of getting um, experiences so that you know, I can just have like more knowledge and stuff like that. So I feel like I am really taking advantage of the natural areas that we have up here. And I feel a lot more connected to the outdoors than I ever have. That's awesome. That's great. And I feel like there's a lot of people that are either feeling that connection for the first time or making sort of like that reconnection. Um, now with this pandemic, you know, if you had time off, uh, you know, what else could you do? You couldn't go out to eat. You couldn't go see people. Um, so to be able to go outside, you can social, dis social distance very easy doing an outdoor activity. And I think that is mm -hmm. something that would really help our society if we sort of reconnected a little bit more with nature. Um, because it's not that, you know, nature doesn't work for us. We can't make it work for us. We have to work in conjunction with it. And, you know, as we've seen really since the industrial revolution, I mean, whenever we take it too far, um, mother nature sort of hits back at us and <laughs> puts us back in our mm -hmm. place. Um, so yeah. that, that's sort of a big, big part of that. So what, what do you have as like, what have you been exposed to as far as like out, outreach programs, um, you know, that Kent State has, has given you an opportunity to do or to be a part of? Yeah, so one specifically that um, I work with within the lab that I'm in, we do something called the Water Quality Quest. So it's an event that they host each year, usually in April. So this year we weren't able to do it. Um, but it's where we bring students from the local high schools in the area and they come up to campus and we kind of show them what it is that we do as ecologists. Um, so we take them out to the wetlands on campus. We show them, um, you know, how to take soil samples and analyze that or um, how to identify plants that are in wetlands. Um, we try to get them exposed to what it's like to be outdoors and experience ecology in action. Um, so that's an event that we try to host every year, just specifically within my lab. Um, specifically, I don't know what a lot of the other labs in the department do, um, but usually each lab kind of has some sort of outreach program that they do for all the local high schools and students. Um, so that way they can kind of experience it. And it also kind of helps them kind of figure out, oh, maybe this is something they might want to go to college for um, and study in the future. So, um, that's kind of the main thing that I'm involved in on campus. With that, that. That's awesome. I, anytime you can reach out and, and just give people that experience, um, 
to the, like for me, I didn't have those experiences. Um, I didn't know that that was an option as I've already said. So um, to, for students now to be able to get that experience and open their eyes and just show them that there's another option out there that maybe they didn't know existed. That's uh, I'm all for those as much as possible. Mm -hmm. So what's next for you? Uh, you know, after graduation, uh, what are you going to be doing? Are you going for more schooling? Are you going to be a, a, a lifetime school person or are you eventually going to get out there into the workforce? Yeah, so I want to go the academic route. Um, I always joke with my mom. I'm like, I'm going to just be in school for the rest of my life. Um, so my goal is to go and to graduate school directly after I get my bachelor's. And I want to get my master's um, in some sort of maybe like aquatic ecology, stream biology kind of thing. Um, but then I want to go a step further. And after I get my master's, I'd like to get my PhD um, because my main goal is to be able to teach at the college level, but then also have my own lab to do research on topics. And that kind of all stemmed from working with my professor over the last year and a half, doing my own individual research and just kind of seeing the impact that he has had on me. Um, I kind of want to return the favor to future um, ecology students. And so that's why I want to kind of go um, and get that PhD. That's, that's a noble approach to feel that you want to give back to other individuals, uh, you know, through teaching them. I know that was, that was a big, that was a big reason why I got into teaching. And um, when you feel that, you know, it, it's typically a pretty strong pull. So uh, that's a noble approach. I commend you for that. Um, you know, do you have, let's say, and I know this isn't how things work. Life doesn't work this way, but in this version uh, in this scenario, you get to pick where you're teaching and where you're doing your research and what you're doing your research on. Where would you Where would you be if every if you could pick exactly where it was? Life's perfect. Where would it be? All right. So, um, even right now, I've been thinking I want to go to school up in the New England states, Massachusetts, Connecticut, Rhode Island, that area. So I'd love to eventually actually live up there. Um, teach at one of the universities. I really want to teach um, aquatic ecology, stream biology kind of thing, because I love it so much and I have such a passion for it. And a lot of people don't know much about what that is. Um, I feel like in a lot of just regular bio classes, that's never really a topic that's mentioned. So I really want to actually teach people about that because it's a lot of really cool and relevant information. Um, and I'd love to continue to do research on um, urbanization and that affects and how it affects uh, stream systems um, and the organisms and the environmental life that lives there. Uh, because, you know, water is such a valuable resource, obviously we need that to live. And so the more research I can do on how humans are impacting that and then how we can mitigate that impact or potentially restore uh, streams that have been degraded so much um, that would be like the dream to be able to do all that. So with this passion that you have for, you know, for aquatics and streams and, you know, are you in the fishing? Is that something, is that a hobby that you're, that you're taking up that, that you're doing because you just want to have, I just want to have my feet in the stream or is it more of a, I, I'd say passive approach, not in a bad way, but more of a, just a, an observe approach. 
yeah, I'm more of that observe route. Um, I really like to go and just look at things. Um, like I, I love if I'm hiking, I like to look at the plants um, to kind of just see um, how they're different from other plants um, and kind of see where they're like location wise, how plants are grown differently. Um, or like if I'm walking around a stream just to kind of observe and see um, any of the invertebrates or fishes that are in that stream, just to kind of see how they're interacting with their environment. Um, I love to just go and observe because I feel like that's the best way for me to connect with the environment. So since you're someone that is educated in this aspect, I got to ask, when does a creek become a creek and a creek become a stream and a stream become a river? Like, well, you know, you hear these, these different terms, what, what denotes the difference between all these different types of running bodies of water? Yeah. Um, you know, so that's really hard to completely distinguish between the types. Um, I'm, you know, that it's such a hard thing to denote and to distinguish because there's so many different factors you have to look at based upon the organisms that live there, um, size, uh, velocity of the water, discharge of water, and um, where it is based on the watershed. You know, is it a tributary leading into a bigger stream? Um, there's just so many factors that go into it. And that's something that I'm not fully educated on yet. Um, hopefully when I take my stream biology class next semester, I'll kind of learn the more specifics on how we denote what's a stream, what's a river and that kind of thing. Well, I, I don't know that your professor would say this way. And honestly, your professor might not even know the term crick because that seems to be a little bit of a Western PA deal, but I've always been told that a crick becomes a creek um, whenever uh, basically a crick has tires and garbage in it uh, and creeks don't. So there you go. There's, there's a little lesson for you from, at least from my grandfather, passed to me, now passed to you. <laughs> Wonderful. Love that. So what, what else do I need to know about conservation biology and your um, aquatic ecology work and this research that, that you've been doing? Is there anything that I haven't talked about that you're like, hey, I, I want to make sure that, that we talk about this? Hmm. I mean, I don't know if there's anything you haven't mentioned, but like overall, I feel like within recent years, the environment and conservation has become such a hot topic um, across all spectrums. And it's because humans have had such an impact on it, not entirely positive, but now we're trying to change that. And I've noticed now that there's become more of a push for going into conservation routes, um, especially within um college students within our biology department, they really push for all this conservation stuff. Pretty much every class I've taken has had some amount of conservation pushed into it. Um, even in my evolution class, you wouldn't think conservation relates to evolution, but yet it, my professor was able to intertwine it. Um, and it just goes to, conservation just means, you know, being a good human being and essentially just taking care of the environment that you live in. Um, and just to make sure that humans don't, you know, overstep their bounds and just completely change the environment for their needs while disregarding the needs of the aquatic life or other life that lives in these streams and ecosystems. Um, it's really taught me how to kind of like coexist in a sense with the environment. Um, I've heard from a lot of different speakers through my time at Kent State. Um, 
a lot with people in our architecture school that talk about urban design and kind of how to, you know, at, create urban spaces that are also places for um, animals and um, stuff like that. So talking a lot about green roofs, um, just kind of talking about the different ways that we've already made strides to um, improve our environment and kind of restore the damage that we have done to them and to make sure that the practices that we do don't negatively affect the environment in the future. Yeah, I feel when I sort of look back at the history of conservation, um, especially in America, it really seems like it goes in cycles. Uh, you know, we went through the late 1800s uh, up until about the late 1800s, where we really did a big number on wildlife and the landscape. And then we had people like uh, George Bird Grinnell and John Muir and Teddy Roosevelt that sort of stepped in and made these big sort of sweeping changes and, you know, with the national park system and national forest system. Um, and then sort of things, you know, leveled off and sort of dipped back down and people were, weren't thinking as much about conservation. And then all of a sudden in the, you know, the sort of hippie movement and the environmentalist movement, we sort of started picking it back up. And then, you know, it started dipping back down again in the 80s and 90s. And now all of a sudden it's, it's starting to gain more traction. So we, it's almost like as humans, as gener, almost like generationally, we take it for granted. And then a generation says, hey, this isn't, going the way it should be we need to make changes and they do everything they need to but then another generation sort of takes it for granted hey it's here it's always going to be here and then it's all of a sudden not the same and we get that that ebb and flow of conservation so i'm glad that i'm living in a time where it seems like it's trending back up to a peak that honestly hopefully i, I hope it continues to travel in that upward trajectory and doesn't peak until after I'm long gone, because that means we're continually making strides. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's um, going to continue to happen just from seeing um, all of the different efforts that have gone into the biology majors and conservation majors, the amount of resources that we have to do our research and to have our classes. It's just amazing to see how much stuff we have and they start new programs pretty much every year they have all these symposiums and speakers to really educate us on what is actually happening out in the world and what we can do at within our majors um, to kind of help with that. That's great. Have you been, have you been keeping up with the politics side of conservation at all? Because unfortunately, a lot of the things that are successful or in terms of conservation really are intertwined with politics have you kept up with or have your professors mentioned things like that as you're going through different classes um a little bit it's they don't like really delve deep into it um we kind of just focus more on um the science-based as aspect of things we don't necessarily dive into politics as much um i try myself to kind of just be somewhat educated on what's going on because um, sometimes I get way too focused in my classes and research to really even think about that. Um, but yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, starting Conserve the Wild, um, starting this podcast, talking to more people in these fields, um, and just sort of broadening that network that I've been trying to cultivate. Um, you know, there's 
a big focus on the politics side of it, just when it comes to a lot of nonprofit conservation organizations, just because they're so intertwined. Um, and that's how you can make a very large immediate impact um, that is noticeable, right? So like right now, the Great American Outdoors Act is, is going, I think it passed the Senate and it's going to the House now. Um, you know, President Trump said, put something on my desk and I'll sign it um, just to fully fund the um, Land and Water Conservation Act, which would be great. That's something that's it's never been fully funded uh, to be able to create parks and create green spaces and, and all those things. Um, you know, those, those are immediate impacts that you can see. And at, at the same time, as I talk about how important and how intertwined conservation politics are, the things that don't get seen, uh, typically have a pretty big impact too, right? Even just picking up litter, you go for a hike and you see, you know, trash on the ground, you, you take a bag with you and you fill that up and, and throw it mm -hmm. away and um, being conscious, you know, and I live in the middle of a very small, very, very small city <laughs> and just being conscious of what I'm putting on my lawn. Um, like right now I have, I, I have a yard full of dandelions and I'm okay with that because I also see a whole lot of bees on those dandelions, right? Um, so you're helping out a wide range by not having that perfectly manicured lawn um, and having some weeds because then I don't, I'm not putting down the fertilizer or um, the, the pesticides or the herbicides that will end up in the river you know, right down the hill uh, from that runoff. So, you know, it's the, the little things, if enough people do the little things, you get a big impact, but those aren't always the things that are, that are readily seen and uh, noticeable by a large group of people with an immediate impact. Mm -hmm. And I've even um, been involved with, with some stuff on campus, trying to make sure that we keep litter off of campus. And um, I've actually led a group of um, some of our ambassadors and we went out one day and we picked up garbage and trash around campus uh, because, you know, if we don't, it's going to end up in our waterways and then that's not good for the health of the stream or the organisms that live there. Um, and so I've seen a lot of students um, at Kent State really take the time and effort to be conscious about what they're doing and their impacts on the environment. Um, in my conservation of natural resources class, we actually had a project for, I think it was like um, through October and November, where we had to keep track of um, any garbage that we threw away, how much electricity we were using, you know, if we had the heat on, um, if we had, you know, a big light on, or if we had our desk lamp on, um, what kind of food did we, did we eat a lot of meat, or do we eat a lot of um, non-meat products, did we have a lot of food that was individually packaged, or did we have stuff that wasn't, so it was a project to really kind of see um, how our minds worked, and the efforts that we were making and each week we had to make um, an improvement in something whether that was have a reusable water bottle stop using plastic water bottles um, just stuff like that and um, I love that a class actually had me do something like that because that made me more conscious about what I do now like I don't buy cases of plastic water bottles anymore I refuse to do that um, instead I invest more of my money into reusable water bottles so just little stuff like that um, can help. Yeah, when, you, when you're forced to take that introspective look at how you're using the resources available to you, um, you don't, until you do that, you don't realize 
just how much of an impact you're having just on your daily choices that you're making. Um, so that I'm, that, I think that's wonderful. I think that is a class that should be taught in from K all the way up through college mm -hmm. to every person, because when you really look at that, um, and you look at how you're using those resources, um, then, you know, if you're recording them, especially like you had to record for the class, you really can't, you know, fudge the numbers. You can't, you know, you, I mean, I, I guess you could lie to yourself, but deep down, you know, Hey, I'm using a, I'm using a whole lot of bottled water. Um, so it's great to see that, you know, that there are people actually looking at that and trying to, minimize their impact as as much as they can yeah it was probably one of the most eye-opening experiences that i've ever had since i've gotten to college because it really made me think um every time i broke down my numbers every day to see you know how much electricity i used and stuff um and i always had to keep a tally of the garbage that i threw out and it was just amazing to see um at the beginning of the project where what my habits were and then compared to the end how much better I was um, and conscious I was of things. Boy, that's a great exercise. I, that's something I, I haven't taken it to that level where I write down everything. I think I'm going to start doing that just to, just to see where I'm at, just to see, you know, give myself a little bit of a baseline. And, and like you said, see where, see where I can improve um, because mm -hmm. I know they're guaranteed there's somewhere that I can improve my, my daily life choices when it comes to use of resources. So that, that's great. That, if, if nothing else, you taught me that today. That was great. All right. So anything else? One, one last thing. Give me one last thing that you want the listeners to know that will change their life. Oh, man. That's such a hard question. It's just, you know, conservation is such an important thing. And I can't believe it took me this long to realize that. Um, and just by doing all this research that I'm doing, it's really opened my eyes to see what there is going on now to help the environment. Um, and I feel like one thing that could be good for anyone is to just read up on stuff, maybe not read just like general news articles, um, but read the actual scientific papers that these scientists are actually doing the research on and then explaining to you their findings and um, what is actually going on. Um, that's something I've been doing a lot more since I've been doing my research project is to actually go and read scientific papers to kind of see what's actually going on. Because you only get so much information from reading just like a quick little news article online. Um, but when you actually get to go and read the project and see how these things are going and how they're actually ex doing the experiments, it's really fascinating and interesting. I actually just read a paper the last couple of days called the urban stream syndrome. And this was written about 15 years ago, but it was explaining, you know, the issue with urbanization and that impact that it was having on streams and degrading the health of the streams. Um, so now my next project is to go and see what research has been done since then to see the progress that we made in the span of 15 years. Um, so it, it's amazing that with, within such a short amount of time, all this research and stuff has actually been done. Um, so it, I, it's such a fast growing field. It's amazing. Well, Anthony, thanks for taking the time to talk to me. This was uh, eye opening for me and something that, um, I've really come to enjoy conversations with other people who are 
as passionate as you are about conservation and, and everything that goes into it. Yeah, I'm glad I could share, um, you know, my experiences and my story. And that'll do it for today's episode. I really want to thank Anthony for taking some time out to talk with me. I'm really excited to sort of see what the research uh, and the data shows uh, once he's done with his uh, summer undergraduate research research experience. Uh, you know, like I said in the intro, you know, we can obviously see the changes that urbanization and suburbanization makes on the landscape, right? There's buildings, there's roads, uh, there's more increased traffic, right? Everywhere that, that used to be trees or pasture land or farmland, uh, whatever the, it was there before. Uh, but we sometimes don't think about what happens downstream, right? What, the things that we do, even in our own little yard, right? The, the fertilizers, the weed be gone, uh, that we put in our own yards, how does the runoff of that affect the water quality in our natural streams and in our rivers? And, you know, really, how does it affect our drinking water? You know, if, if you have a well, you probably understand that aspect of it greatly. But if you have city water like I do, you know, the water's pretty much always the same. Uh, I'm lucky enough, in quotes, uh, air quotes there, I'm lucky enough to be working uh, from time to time at some water facilities during my summer job and to talk to those chemists about how they have to change on a, uh, you know, what they're putting into the water to make it safe to drink and how to filter it out, how it changes from day to day and week to week, um, times of year. Uh, it's really, really impressive the amount of work that they have to do. And, and it's something that you don't really think about whenever you're just throwing out your weed and feed to make your lawn look good and lush and green and perfectly manicured, which by the way, isn't really good for wildlife or insects either. So, you know, the, these are the kind of things that we need to think about and, and our daily choices that we make, how it's how it's impacting uh, the greater world. So, um, you know, it, it was great to talk to Anthony about all this stuff. It, while I've, I have thought about some of these things from time to time, it really, you know, opened your eyes a little bit, a little bit more as well. If you haven't yet, sign up for our newsletter and you will get all kinds of information about what we've been up to and what we will be looking forward to as well. So uh, sign up for our newsletter and please, please, please subscribe to this podcast. Uh, there have been many of you that are listening and we're, we're seeing uh, our listenership go up and I think that is a wonderful thing. The reward for us is when you subscribe and you tell your friends. Word of mouth is the way this is going to grow more than anything social media can provide. So please subscribe and then tell your friends and family about these uh, episodes that we're putting out. Uh, you know, Try to get them interested in the outdoors. Until next week, stay wild. Mm -hmm.